Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. My guest today is Amy Hodler, who's come to me through a, quite a circuitous route via Givitas. If you want to know more about Givitas, I'll put some notes on the on the show page. Um, but Amy, tell me about what you do, just so we can orient ourselves in the context. Uh, absolutely. So I am the program manager for graph analytics and AI at Neo4j, mm-hmm. which is a graph platform company, and. What that means is, as far as what graph and graph analytics is about, it's really about um, storing, computing, and analyzing uh, connections between data. So it's all about the relationship between data points. Nice. Excellent. I bet you that's time consuming, but also like a passion. It's fascinating, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, and actually, that's that's part of how I got involved with, with Neo4j is um, quite a few years ago, uh, I got interested in just studying, uh, you know, analyzing, analyzing information in general. And I came across a couple books that kind of changed the way I thought about data. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them's, Tell me one of them's called books. Which way? Okay, one of them's called um, uh, The Information. And uh, that's about, that's from James Gleck. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about information theory and how the study of information um, started, even before it started, how we started to categorize information mm-hmm. and how it's evolved into more, um, more complex and complexity studies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating book. And the other book uh, was Black Swan, uh, and that's about the study of risk and particular mm-hmm. risks that you don't see. Yes. And so those two books, when I after I read those books, I get very excited about information theory, complexity studies. So how do you how do you study systems? Yes. And that could be a uh, traffic, it could be your brain, it could be economics, anything that has individual components that mm-hmm. interact. And when I got excited about that and started taking on online courses, I realized that graph, um, which has an old history back to the 1700s, mm-hmm. is the mathematics that you use to study the networks. So that kind of led me into uh, network science and then into graph theory, which is how I worked my way over to Neo4j. Wow. So it's a fascinating area. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you could you could probably um, keep on studying it for centuries because every time you find something, it teaches you something else. It's beautiful. I, and it's a really, I think, a really important area for people to consider um, today because the world is just becoming so more, so much more interconnected and mm-hmm. interdependent. And as soon as you have interconnections and interdependence, whether we're talking about banks or cybersecurity or fraud or um, brain chemistry, you need to study those connections and study the um, the system as a whole. So I, I feel like network science and um, complexity science are just really important for mm. in particular 21st century excellent and so what's your what's your background where, where did you where did you what did you study to get to here 
Well, interestingly enough, um, not uh, not mathematics, although uh, I have a passion and a, a love for it. Uh, it. I studied actually international studies in school, and I wanted to get into conflict resolution, which I suppose you could say has some complexity, <laughs> if, if you will. Yeah, uh, and uh, but, but getting out of school, like so many other people, uh, needed to find work, and found my way into um, into call centers, uh-huh. working, um, you know, answering people's problems and, and trying to figure out, you know, the, what's really going on between uh-huh. what they're asking and, and what they need to help. And eventually ended up uh, working at several technology companies and uh, getting closer and closer to the analysis of whatever systems we were working on. Uh-huh. Uh, and then really, as far as how I found myself to where I am now, it was mostly um, self-study and um really being um, tenacious about projects I wanted to work on. So one of the, one of the things that I always recommend um, younger people do in their career is that if you're interested in something, you know, take it, take it one step further and uh, take on projects that you're not quite comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And you, that's the best way to learn and, and to see if you're really interested in it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Wow. Okay. So um, talk to me about your daily routines, how you work smarter. What are the things that you do to keep yourself fresh and informed? Obviously, you study and read outside of what you do because that's clear already. What else do you do? Well, you know, one of the biggest things that I've learned um, that has helped me the most is uh, learning to schedule focus and not multitask. Okay, tell me more. I I completely believe um, there is really no such thing as multitasking your mm-hmm. task switching yeah. and you're not as effective. And there's there's plenty of brain studies out there that actually show if you are multitasking, your abilities actually degrade considerably. And if you mm-hmm. do it over many, many years, they can actually see decades. They can actually see changes in the brain. Right. Uh, so it's, it's multitasking is actually, I think, one of the, the worst modern habits we have and so the the way if you want to just talk about gen, the easiest thing to uh-huh. work smarter is to not multitask it's hard habit to get into yeah. uh, but you know whether it's being present on a phone call or uh, you know walking away from your desk to actually read through something thoroughly so mm-hmm. you can really understand it or um, going analog uh, developing your PowerPoint presentation with paper Mm-hmm. Start there, you know, so there are ways to kind of force yourself into a more focused environment. And I, I think that's, mm-hmm. to me, that's it would be a uh, secret for you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Um, and we've been, ta- you've kind of been talking about the lessons learned as you've gone through with it. Are there any particular lessons you've learned that you wish everybody else had told you before or that you wish everybody else could remember? Yeah. Um, so we're often... We're, we often focus on what we don't feel we do well and try to bring that up to, you mm-hmm. know, some kind of an average level of competency. But I actually think we, we should focus more on what we naturally do well yeah. and not worry so much about those other things. Um, maybe it's a skill or, or, you know, a bad habit you wish you could get rid of, but most of those things have a, um, a positive correlation on the flip mm-hmm. side of that coin, if you, if you will. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, if you, it, it's like telling somebody to stop saying, um, or yeah. ah, during a presentation, and then they focus on nothing but that and they can't yeah. stop it anymore. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to saying, well, hey, you're really good at X. 
do just, more of that. You know, focus yeah. on that. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, both from a, a skill standpoint, but also just finding what you enjoy uh, long term, because you're going to be better at what you do well anyhow, as opposed to trying to be something else. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And a sundial in the shade is useless. Let's find out where your sun (laughs) is and put you there. Because otherwise we end up having people who are mediocre. There's a Oh, there's a story I read years ago. It was kind of like, you know, the, all the animals go to school, but the squirrel's hopeless at swimming and the fish <laughs> terrible at climbing. So everybody, everybody fails um, instead of going, oh, some of us have some really good abilities to do things that otherwise yeah. we wouldn't do. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes, that strength-based approach yeah. is a big difference. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, that's very different than what I remember, at least first, you know, getting into the workplace. And the, the other thing is, if you are an excitable, interested, passionate person, you probably have too many things on your to-do list. <laughs> and just re- realizing, yeah, you're, you're laughing because you know, know. Uh, there, yeah, there's uh, it, just realizing that you can do anything, but you just can't do everything at mm-hmm. the same time. I have a good friend who has a to don't list. So there are things that you would like to do. Yeah. So you would like to do, but that you're going to put it on the, not this year, you know, I'm not going to do these things. And every time, you know, I go back and say, Oh, I could, Oh, that's on my to don't list. So that's, yes, yes, I have it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's like, no, this year you're not pursuing that. What about, so do you recruit people? Do you have people working with, with you and for you in the, in the space that you're working in at the moment? Yes, um, I do. Uh, we are actually going through, we're, we're interviewing right now, uh, actually, for, oh. uh, yeah, for, for data scientists and, uh-huh. and uh, some data engineering uh, work as well. So, yes, we, we definitely do uh, have, um, you know, we're actively looking um, for people to, to help round out the team. So tell me, what is it that you look for? What are the qualities or the attributes or the the thing? What's the thing you're looking for when you're recruiting? I, I would say uh, what I particularly look for, I mean, there's the technical ability and skills. I, I usually don't worry too much about that because we have a, a very technical team that can mm-hmm. suss out whether that fits, um, with the exception of do they have skills that uh, we don't already have on the team? Because right. I think that's 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 one thing that we do have a tendency as humans to do is to um, really gravitate towards people that are very much alike, like our background or, or like we are. Yeah. And so that's kind of a, you almost have to actively remind yourself you know, to, to look for um, skills that you're maybe not very good at and will never be very good at. Um, so there, to, to there's that. To your, to your weaknesses so that you don't have to do those weaknesses. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of make the team stronger. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is this balance between, um, that I always, I always look for, is this balance between curiosity and ability to concentrate. So yeah. I've worked with some really brilliant people um, that are very curious about the world, um, that can see things from different points of view. Uh, They're more innovative, um, creative, uh, but there's a lot of times there's a a need to focus and concentrate on less interesting tasks, Uh, things, you know, the the, um, data cleansing. Uh, It's not exactly exciting or sexy, but everybody has to do it to get your data to a Mm -hmm. point where you can actually do the analysis. And I think having people that that can kind of um, balance those two um, 
those two skills, curiosity and, and I guess maybe tenacity is, a, is another way to look at it, I think is really important. Um, and when I think about, um, you know, curiosity and what I'm asking people about, it's usually, you know, have you worked on different projects? What have you been most excited about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can kind of hear it in their voice if they have a variety of things they've done um, that they're excited about or they've learned about. And that's, uh, to me, that's a really good indicator though of curiosity because then they will, you know, kind of pursue beyond the obvious. And then when I think about tenacity or mm-hmm concentration, I usually ask them to describe some kind of a process. So not very exciting. You know, maybe it's a technical model they had to put together. Um, If they're a product manager, how do you prioritize features? Mm -hmm. If they're in marketing, how do you develop a messaging framework? So the less sexy side of the jobs Mm -hmm. um, that you kind of just have to slog through usually. And so it's good to to kind of hear that from candidates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Um, So... Those are the things you recruit for. Are they the things that make a better data person? I believe so um, because, the, as I said, the curiosity um, helps people kind of look, uh, look beyond the obvious, beyond what's just on the surface, um, to be able to ask um, more probing questions. So one thing that I am not good at, um, that I love it when we get people on the team that are good at, is trying to go beyond the problem that somebody says they're having. So a lot of a lot of times you you get a question from a customer or you know somebody on the team mm-hmm. that says I'm not able to do X or I'm I'm looking for a correlation between A and B. But the problem they actually have is different. Mm. And so something that I'm bad at that I think um, a good data scientist um, is is probably much better at is is trying to work with the customer or the person on what the actual problem is they're trying to solve because people right. really mm. don't ask that they they ask what they think the problem is they need to solve yeah yeah so yeah i had a when i have a story when i set up the podcast my i bought two microphones and couldn't plug both of them into the usb ports on because i only have one usb port on my computer and uh, i went to the i solved my own problem went to the store and said please give me a USB, you know, multi-port adapter. And then I got back and I plugged in and and it didn't work. I was like, well, it looks like these only work, this adapter only works serially, not together. It's like, I've solved my own problem, but I didn't actually solve my problem because I went with the wrong problem. Um, The problem is I want to put two computers in, two mics into my computer, not I have one USB port. But I described it as one USB port. Just give me the answer. I know the answer. And it wasn't the right answer. And in the end, it wasn't because the software was actually a software that only takes one mic. So it wouldn't have mattered how many ports I had. But it's that, you know, solving my own problem as as a customer is not appropriate you know, solving your own problem or uh, not probing beyond the mm. question, the specific question is something very technical people um, fall into. Mm. So it's great if you have a data scientist who can think beyond what's actually being asked or what they're presented with. Mm. Mm. It's a, it's a, I think it's a, it's a talent that's required, not just in data science, but in most <laughs> consulting roles, sure. really, just finding out what the problem really is rather than the one the client has diagnosed for themselves in their efforts to fix whatever it is that's broken mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. 
Exactly. So talk to me about complex explanations. Well, how do you, because you work in a, in a place that helps with visualisation, I imagine you mostly use pictures, but there must be some other stuff. If a client needs, when you need to explain to a client or a stakeholder or whatever you want to call them, customer, uh, what uh, uh, a, a complex idea, how do you approach that? Yeah. Well, it's it's never one answer to, to that question. Um, abstractions are are very helpful, uh, and then if you can if you can relate the abstraction to some kind of a story or analogy that that people can relate to is helpful. Uh, and then uh, visuals are um, are very helpful as well. I actually mm-hmm. find that a lot of the the visuals that I end up using come from either an engineer or some phrase that, uh, you know, either our, our analysts um, have used in explaining something, and then I can develop it into a visualization. Right. Um, so it's kind of an, it's interesting um, to have to really listen to um, what your more technical folks are, um, are, what kind of words and language they're using, and then you can, you can move that into a, into a visual. Right. Excellent. So it's, it's kind of like paying attention Till you find something that people can actually relate to that, that gives them a, an insight into what the maple bar is. Yeah, exactly. And I think we have a, we have a really um, a scarcity of good language right now to describe um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that goes is, is part of the problem of confusion mm-hmm. um, and even um, distrust for for things like artificial intelligence because mm-hmm. if you say intelligence people either assume that it has um, agency that can make its own decision mm-hmm. uh, because you've used the word intelligence or once you explain how it's not magic the the um, the, the next reaction is oh well is that all it is it's not so exciting it's not so smart it's not so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, so as soon as it stops being magic, um, you know, it's it's no longer exciting. It's no longer AI, and so I think there, there's a there's a language issue in regards to AI and machine learning that um, we haven't gotten past yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, I look forward to you know kind of getting over that hump to where it's no longer magic, but that it's it's still um, it's still somewhat intelligent, if mm-hmm. you will, <laughs> if I could come up with a better word for it. I was just going to say, do you have a better word for it? I think it will develop as people internalize um, more of um, all the abilities with machine learning. I, I uh, a couple weeks ago, explained a little bit of uh, machine learning to my mother, who is not in technology, mm-hmm. um, who doesn't keep up, um, but she watches the news and she you know, she's following, um, you know, what's in general going on. And the idea of machine learning um, really did seem like magic. And, and I tried to explain it as um, error reduction as kind of the easiest way to kind of comprehend it is you're really just trying to reduce uh, errors or optimize for some number. Uh, and, at, and at that point, it, it made a lot more sense um, to her that it wasn't learning the way a child learns as much as um, we were trying to optimize for, you know, something like less errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, of course, her reaction then was, oh, is that all it is? <laughs> so I, <laughs> it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's, like, like you say, when it's mysterious, it's magic. Yes. And then when it's not, it's kind of like when you've explained the magic trick, it's no longer magic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yet AI is, is doing and will do some fabulous things to get us, move us forward. 
Yeah, and I'm really excited about some areas um, that are developing now that Uh add more context to AI. So if you think about intelligence, if we can use artificial intelligence um, that way, the, you know, we all we all kind of learn and make decisions based on a bigger context. Um, so there's a classic example is, you know, a, a child puts their hand on a stove and they don't need to do it twice. They don't need <laughs> to test right. every stove out there. They don't need to test their neighbor's stove. Once was just enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But they can understand from context, you know, it's a certain height. Maybe it was glowing. It felt warm. Uh, and so there's a context to that experience. And w- some of the things that that are exciting to me right now in that space is that is we're trying to add more context to the decisions that software is uh, suggesting or mm-hmm. we're making. And, and I think that'll help us. It, it does seem to improve prediction rates. Yes. So you, you develop a model to make a prediction and then you take an action based on the prediction and the prediction, the early you know estimates are coming back that the prediction rates are much better when you can add in context. Nice. Excellent. Now, there was there was a particular thing you wanted to speak about. What was that thing? Mm. I think we spoke about it um, initially. That was the network science piece right. and why that's um, so important. And just the fact that uh, so many of our modern day systems and lives are more connected. So, understanding and studying it as a network, mm-hmm. uh, anything actually as a network as opposed to isolation is just extremely important uh, today. Well, which it comes, which is kind of interconnected too with your thing around people have to understand the context of the problem and, and understand how that works as much as they have to understand, you know, the solution or even whatever mm. the customers brought to them as the solution. Um, learning the context right. makes a difference. Yeah. Well, a, there's a theme right. to your conversation. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't quite put it all together, but I think you're right. It's all about context and connections. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of uh, fabulous. And also I've been reading um, Gretchen Rubin's book, Happier at Home, and one of the things she talks about in that is the opposite of a fat, profound truth is also true. And, it's you know, the, the, the truth is that we need lots of context and also sometimes we should neglect the context and just fix the problem. Um, so it's both of those things are true and, and it's, you know, that ambiguity which keeps us, which keeps us on our toes, I think. I, it keeps life interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I always ask people what their favourite charity is because it's always just an interesting question for me. What's, what, is there a favourite charity that you like? Yeah, so, so I would say as opposed to a, uh, a single organisation that, you know, that maybe you donate money to, um, I, I really think um, for those that can, uh, being involved in their local community mm-hmm. is, um, is just profoundly um, impactful, if I can use that word, mm-hmm. uh, be, because I, I think, uh, and I live in a very rural area, um, so there's a public services aren't um, as uh, speedy or well-funded as uh, large cities. And what you see um, in that kind of in a smaller community, and I assume that it's the same even in um, larger larger populations, Mm -hmm. is that people really rely on each other and they rely on them for miscellaneous things you cannot imagine ahead of time. 
So do you do you do you give your time in some kind of way to students who want to get the tech or what or whatever? Yeah, um, and I, I would say I'm I'm probably less scheduled about it. I'm a little more sporadic, but the community finds you when you, when you start talking to people. Uh, so so yeah. So this Something last to be on uh, a podcast stuff like that. Yeah, you you never know how these things. It's about connections, right? You never know how these things happen. Um, but yeah, so yes. Um, just uh, not too long ago, I um, sat down with a group of. Um, young ladies in uh, in middle school and high school that were looking to get into kind of STEMS careers. Mm-hmm. And we just had uh, probably, I think we were, we're supposed to have lunch, but we ended up two to three hours oh, of just talking about, you know, what their concerns were, what was it, you know, what's it like being in tech and, um, you know, being a woman, mm-hmm. what's it like just getting into tech, uh, how to know, how to pick your you know, favorite, how to know what your bliss is going to be when you're 16, which I don't know how anybody makes that decision, but they're worried about these things. So, so yes, I think making yourself available just to come in and, um, you know, be present and offer yourself when it's asked. Um, that, I guess that if you had to, if I had to pick a favorite charity, that would be it in general is just, you know, being there for your community. When, when they, when they identify the need or yeah. when you see the need and can, can give it easily. Yeah. 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 Comes back to the givers and takers. See, it's all going round and round. Uh, round there and we go. <laughs> yeah. So, is there anything else you want to say? Anything else that you think is important in the world of data and smart data people? Uh, the the I guess the last thing that comes to mind is uh, just realizing that uh, we're human, even though we we love <laughs> we love data, um, we cannot you know going back to the multitasking um, we uh-huh. cannot parallel process. We are humans, not machines, uh, and the, there's also some time you need to take um, you know to sharpen your own skills. So if you think about you know an analogy would be you know using a kitchen knife and never sharpening it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, at some point it will either be of no use or you will actually, you know, cut yourself because it's not sharp enough. Uh, so taking the time, yeah, taking some time to uh, step back, sharpen your own skills, uh, give yourself a rest, I think is is important as well. And I think people that are very passionate about um, topics in particular in kind of the data science area is that there's just always more to learn and there always will be things mm-hmm. you don't know. And there's always an exciting next X. Uh, but at some point, you, you also have to have fun and you also have to, um, you know, take the time to uh, sharpen yourself um, mentally, physically, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally as well. Nice. I'm at the moment just having fun recording it because it's getting, okay. there's some very strong patterns. There's, you know, there's, people are agreeing a lot of things, but then there's the, the basically it's some data and there are some correlations and some interesting mm. outlying things that are, in, that, that are interesting and worth pursuing. Um, yeah. Tell me about the correlations. I'm kind of curious. What are you? Well, everybody, you curiosity comes up every time mm. and everybody then, oh, then is, but not like, I don't want them to be curious about everything. Like some people say, I don't want them to be curious about everything. I want them to be curious about things that are, you know, relevant to the problem sometimes, mm. or I want them to be curious, um, 
but, you know, and make that curiosity come from other areas, like how people describe the kind of curiosity they want, but everybody wants mm. curiosity, which is an interesting, I mean, interesting. not interesting. It's kind of like, yeah, of course, people want curiosity. They want people who are going to say, hang on, I've been thinking of this from a different angle because I'm a, I don't know, because I embroider uh, or because I you yeah. know, climb trees, I thought of this from this perspective and that brings a different kind of solution to this problem. So, you know, depending on who it is, um, the curiosity is a very common uh, strain through it. Uh, And there was another one. There's another one that you said. The question question asking, getting the context just comes up and up and up uh, because I think... (laughs) what people do when they're when they're when they're trained to be data scientists mm-hmm. they it's almost like here's the problem go solve it um and yeah. we know the world is way more complex than that the real world isn't a university assignment where you're given all the pieces of information you need um the real world is is kind of like you know yeah i i want a um an adapter for my computer give it mm-hmm. to me not I need to to record with two microphones. Um, so, getting that context is very strongly uh, coming out, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of good because what I do is I teach people how to basically ask questions, how to uh, get on better with stakeholders, how to take a good brief, how to say no, but make it sound like you're saying yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I, do, I do all the soft skills that go around. Um, data science I'm not a data scientist um I've been working with data scientist teams since 2002 2003 something like that um because I was doing this stuff I just didn't specialize in data scientists but there's so many good data scientists out there who are so much better when they suddenly realize they could ask questions it's like the the light comes on do you think that is a uh a skill that people come out of school lacking because it does seem like we're when we're looking at data scientists you know just mm-hmm. just because we're a smaller company we're looking at younger people mm-hmm. um usually they're just out of school uh, do you think that's a skill that they just aren't getting in school uh, i think so it's just a matter part of, of that, experience part of that is yeah i think it's partly experience i, I mean some people are born asking the question mm-hmm. but i think also um because university assignments are often here's the yeah, here's yeah. the problem. Go solve it, rather than go research this general area and come back with what are the problems that exist. So I think part of it is problem identification that. to a certain extent is missing. And what we're saying is, you need to find out what the problem is, not just solve the problem. Um, there's a there's a, a in the UK and now in Australia there's something called data school where they literally give people who may not even be data scientists by profession, give them real-world assignments to do. It's a one-year process. I interviewed someone last week about it. I don't know much more about it than that. I mean, I spoke to him for, you know, half an hour. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think there's – it's not necessarily what – they're asking them to do as assignments or as as part of their their work in at universities and schools they're not asking that not asking people to do it that way so some people are naturally born and will go hang on a second but what's the problem you're trying to solve but not everybody will um and yeah look i don't even know whether the people who are setting the assignments in their universities are actually um aware of the problem 
uh, aware yeah. of this problem kind of thing. So uh, who knows? Uh, yeah. And I do find that uh, it, it, people will actually tell you what a problem is they will they will misinform you of what their problem is. You can ask, well, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And they don't necessarily purposely do it, no. um, but they will describe they will describe something that is you know when you when you dig into the the bigger project. So mm. I hate I hate to say this. Sometimes you can't even believe them when they tell you. No. So that's and that's not natural for me. So that's like I said, that's something that I'm not good at because I have a tendency to believe everybody says. I can't believe anybody would be dishonest because it just seems about yeah. anything yeah. because it just seems less efficient. Like, why would you do that? So yeah. I assume everybody's telling me the absolute purest, honest thing every time I'm talking to them. And, you know, when you're talking about problems, I have to keep reminding myself, oh yeah, they, you can't believe them. <laughs> They're well, not doing it on that, purpose, but they can't believe them. It's a Dr. House thing. Everybody lies and they don't do it. Yeah. Like he says it like it was yeah. mean and horrible, but then yeah. we're not. We just... <laughs> We represent our part of reality, which yeah. which is blind to a large part of the mm-hmm. problem. Um, and until someone says, well, so why do you need a USB adapter? Mm. <laughs> I, like, I love that example. Yeah, well, I'm looking for a new headset, so yeah. I like I like that example. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. And I go into the store and I say, I want a USB adapter, and they give it to me, and $24 later, I've just wasted $24 and 20 minutes of going to the store. Yeah. Um, because in the end, like I said, weeks later, I discovered the software doesn't do more than one microphone. So yeah. my identified problem was not any problem at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, and that's what it's like I'm in microcosm for everything. People, people don't even know what problem is solving. Yeah. So, so how did you get um, involved in this line of work? Um, it's, it's not something you study in school, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, the influence and persuasion, the the soft skills stuff, I did a course in the early 90s because I had been a consultant for a while and I felt that I was not treating my clients kindly. So I was introducing change into workplaces. I was teaching people how to deal with, you know, how to basically do more with less. So I was in productivity consulting at the time and it was just kind of I need um, I need to do this more kindly because we were kind of jamming change down people's throats. So I went out to find out, well, how do I do this more kindly and how do I do this more swiftly while being kinder? Um, you know, how do I get people to adapt to change and embrace change rather than, you know, get sick and get stressed, um, refuse, all those things. And then um, in the early 2000s, someone I'd worked with, you know, 20 years before was kind of like, you should come in and work with my organisation. And she just happened to be in the insights and analytics area of a major bank. Um, And so I've been working with her ever since. uh, And people, you know, once you have one set of insights and analytics people talking to you, then they move and they move and, you know, they say, oh, you you should come and work with us. Uh, So, yeah, basically it was an accident of history, um, but the quest to find out how do we do this better, how do we do this smarter um, is, uh, you know, has been pretty much lifelong really. Have you, um, are you familiar with uh, Simon Sinek and his um, Start Start With with Why? Why? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that's that's I've, part of it. I think he's, of course, he simplified it because it's really nice to have, you know, here's the answer and there is only one answer. <laughs> I know. Um, but yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, because I could see that a little bit in the, the thread uh, of, mm. of, of what you're talking about. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Find it, giving me a why before I actually know what it is. You know, why do I need to know what artificial intelligence is? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's it going to do for me? It makes a huge difference because then people have got interest. Without a whiff of where it kind of, just like, well, why? And you and I would just go, well, I don't know. It's it's a new endeavor. Let's go and let's go investigate. Yeah, it's it looks like fun. Yeah. Yes. Of course, you know, as we know, um, not all, not all the world is like us. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally, uh, I totally agree. You get it. That's you great. get it. You get it, Amy. That's why we're even talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. So, what other um, what what new projects do you have coming up? Uh, in terms of client projects, um, uh, well, I'm actually I'm always always looking for new ones. Actually, I'm um, this weekend. I'm uh, this end of this week. I'm doing an offsite for, um, in fact, some people who uh, maintain heritage buildings, um, which is very different from data science. But that's what I'm doing this week, and, and I'm spending my life inventing a treasure hunt. It's, you know, it's whatever the client wants. And right now what they want is some team bonding. We're doing a treasure hunt and some trivia while also then dealing with things like how do I give feedback without killing people? How do I, uh, you know, what's the difference between feedback and um, criticism? Uh, What's the point of criticism? Do you really need to criticise? Do people even hear it? Um, all those kinds of interpersonal things, which you know, interpersonal team stuff is kind of where I live. Um, but that's at the moment so, I'm obsessed by a treasure hunt. That sounds like fun, though. It, is. <laughs> it does sound like fun. So on the criticism, do people hear it if you're the, trying to give? Research seems to say that okay. mostly they don't, that you're better off pointing out what they're doing right and asking them to do more okay. of it than you are to actually point out what they're doing wrong. Um, and, okay. you, you know... I'm sure that um, you've had the experience, as I have had, of going, but if someone just told them, don't do that, then everything would be okay. <laughs> but the problem is they don't actually, and there's a there's an inherent, uh, if when you say don't do things, it actually yeah. pays attention to the thing that you shouldn't yeah, do yeah. rather than paying attention to the here's what I want you to do. Um, yeah. So, yes, there's some. Um, uh, there's a lot of research on it, and it's like, a theme that sometimes we just waste our breath. I, I hate to say this, but it's like training a dog. Yep. If you have dogs, you, 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 I mean, if you pay attention when they're doing something wrong, that's what they're going to keep doing. Yeah. Look, I've got a response <laughs> on this. Let me do that again. Yeah, children, babies, exactly. Fine. exactly. It's like <laughs> I found out how to make you happy. Well, I make belief maker yeah. make noises, and that's fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And I think we um, we kind of know this in in one sphere of our life. Yeah. We always bring that into the the work sphere. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, habits are hard to break. I still find myself going, I just want to say, don't do that. Um, and having to go, well, what would I like them to do instead is an extra cognitive step that sometimes we're too tired, you know. Sometimes we're it's like, just don't do this. Stop it. Don't, don't call me that name. <laughs> You know, I have, um, thinking about being too tired, mm-hmm. uh, I have a, I have a w- exceptionally intelligent c- 
coworker slash old friend or mm-hmm. ex coworker slash friend. Um, the, I mean, off the charts. Um, was a math PhD. Uh-huh. Now he's like charge of a VC firm and makes embarrassing amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he, uh, we, we used to, we used to, I used to do, um, innovation labs for him, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We would get a bunch of smart people together. We would, we would brainstorm on new things mm-hmm. and you get them away from the office and, and they're just brilliant. And he would always say, you guys work too hard. Yeah. And at honestly. first, you know, the first couple of years, yeah. The first couple of years I heard him saying like, yeah, 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 we all work too hard. And then I realized that he was actually, over dinner, he w- he was actually saying, "No, no, you you work so hard, you're making yourself stupid." Mm. I I you know to be you know, and that's, that's a little bit of the multitasking thing mm-hmm. that I hate multitasking um, that, that I you know that I use. But he he actually was trying to get people to work less during the day to give your your brain and your creativity a chance yeah. to actually you know, innovate and come up with it because you can't if you're exhausted. Well, exactly. Well, it's that whole, all the research on insight, um, which essentially says your brain comes up with insight when you're not thinking about the problem. So go have a shower or go take a run or yeah. go work out or, you know, talk about it, talk, talk about, you know, fish uh, with your best friend over dip breakfast or whatever. And suddenly you go, Oh my God, now I know the answer. Why didn't I think of that before? We've all had that shower moment of, why was I making that so complex? Here's the answer. Um, So yeah, totally. And I'm, I've also been reading about the need to have um, hobbies or or, uh, interests in areas other than the area that, so if you're in data, it's also important to do something with your hands or um, go dancing or something that's not just data all the time. Um, Certainly in my own life, you know, I paint and I sing and I improvise and I, you know, it's like, do I need another hobby? No, but I'm going to probably pick one up because I'd be like, oh, that'd be fun to do. Let's do that. Um, and I know it brings me back to the topic at hand, the design of the treasure hunt or the design of the offside or the design of the training or, you know, solving a particular coaching problem. Um, it brings me, brings me back refreshed, whether it's bringing um, information across from one domain to the other, I can't really say because I'm always doing all of these things. Um, and I do know the people who burn out in my world, you know, executives I've worked with who've burned out and those, you know, is often because they haven't had time. You know, they don't even sleep enough. They don't even spend eight hours a night in, in bed, let alone five hours. Um, yeah. And, yeah, all the research says the more, the more sleep-deprived we are, the more we think we're coping. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So yeah, the people who are, I usually feel terrible if I'm sleep deprived. Oh, me too. I can't. If I don't have eight hours, I am like, no, yeah. I can't. I can't. I have a nap. I have to catch that up yeah. as soon as quickly. But I've got friend, friends and clients who are who are regularly doing five or six hours, and telling me how incredibly on the ball they are. And I'm thinking, well, okay, you think you're on the ball. I'm concerned that you know you're not thinking straight, and you're getting cranky, and you're. You know, I, I find it interesting the um, uh, I, I don't know if it's the 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 fear of missing out or the mm-hmm. the obsession with consuming 
information, uh, whether it's, you know, reading New York Times all the time or mm-hmm. um, The Economist and, and just, did you read this blog? I, I get sent so many links of things that I should be reading. Uh, there's no way my colleagues could be reading all of that and getting anything done. No. I just don't, they have no time to concentrate. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm a little puzzled by that. I occasionally get caught up in the, you know, my reading list is so long or I'm never going to get to it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, and then I think about um, something that uh, I forget which writer, I can't remember which writer it was, but one of the books I was reading where he, where he said he actually uses how long something has been out as a um, judgment of whether it's worth reading. And, and what he meant by that was if something's, if he's only heard about an invention last week or, you know, something new came out two months ago, that's probably not as important as a truth or a book or an invention that came out five years ago, 20 years ago, a hundred years ago that he's just now hearing about because it's been around. Yes. And so it's kind of, it's withstood that, that um, test of time. And yeah. so I try to remember that, um, but it is a, I don't. I don't even know how how some people really um, consume that the amount of information they appear to be consuming and get anything out of it. And the key is appear to be consuming. So, uh, well, are they? And that's that's. I mean, is it better to read one thing and digest it and contextualize yeah. it and and generalize it, or read fifty things and not really contextualize it, but just have it? And I don't know the answer to that question. I, there are lots of things where I go, skim, that will be useful later. Put the link on my blog so mm-hmm. I remember where it is. Um, but I've not <laughs> read it in its, its entirety. It's like, oh, it's a thing about yeah. uh, concentration. I'll put it on the, with the other blog stuff on it, concentration. And yeah. if I need it, I'll come back to it. So I'm, yeah. I, I know that I do an awful lot of skimming. Um, so who knows? But I've become a fan of listening to podcasts because it means I can get the author's take on the important bits of their book without having to read their book. So again, I'm skimming, yeah. but in a different way. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Look, it is what it is. <laughs> we, yeah. we do what we do. But you're right. There's no way the things, everything that comes into my inbox, yeah. I cannot read. It is not yeah. possible. I have to filter and, you know, a lot of what I do is put it in my blog so that later when I want it, I can find it. So I, my blog is not for anybody else. It's for me. It's like a library. <laughs> but oh, some great. stuff about yeah. how to be, why you should take notes by hand. Right. I'll put all it together. And then when, when a client says to me, oh, I always type, t- type my notes and I'm fabulous. I'm like, great. Here's some research. Read this and see what you think. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, that sounds like a fabulous place to end. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultant's Consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster 
target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.